Well, a very good morning to all of you who are joining in here uh, with us at the Rock Church as we're streaming our Sunday services live via Facebook Live. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here with you this morning. And uh, we are very excited to also welcome all of you who are joining in from the Sea to Sky region, uh, from other parts of Canada, North America, as well as the rest of the world. And uh, we would just like to encourage you to make yourself known through the little chat function or chat box that is available on Facebook Live. And uh, someone from the Rock Church would be happy to connect with you, uh, find out how you're doing, and uh, if there is anything that we can maybe pray for you for in this time that we're living in. And uh, so, yeah, that's uh, just a welcome to all of you. Uh, this morning, we are going to dive in pretty quickly here into the text for the day. Uh, we are still in the gospel according to Luke, and we're going to look at most probably one of the most iconic images of Jesus Christ in today's text. You know, uh, I think most of us would agree, uh, Christians and non-Christians would agree that most probably one of the most famous images and most iconic image of Jesus is, of course, the image of Jesus hanging and dying on the cross of Calvary. The reason for that is, is because it is that image that our faith, the Christian faith, is based on. The image of the Son of God coming fully man, but fully God, and then living the perfect life that we as humans were not able to live and should have been living, but He came to do that. And in the end then, died the perfect death that we should have died in order that His blood that was shed would be the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins before God. That is why the image of the cross and Jesus on the cross and dying on the cross is so very important. But that's not the image that we're looking at today in our text out of Luke. We are looking at the image of Jesus amongst little children. Yes, that image. It is most probably, I would say, after the image of Jesus on the cross, the most famous one. It is that image that we see on kids' Bibles. On top of the, the cover of my two-year-old daughter's uh, children's Bible is this image of Jesus Christ being surrounded by little children. And it is this Jesus who then says that the kingdom of God is for such as these, these children that surround Him. And that is what we are going to look at today. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching out of Luke 18, verses 15 to 17, where we see Jesus once again respond in a specific way to a group of people who in the society of the day, in the uh, Ju Judean context of that day, were regarded as uh, being of very little value or importance. But the overarching question, I believe, out of our text here today and in this image of Jesus Christ with little children, has to do with that very important question that Glenn highlighted for us out of last week's text. And that is the question of how can we as humans who are sinful be in a right relationship with God, the creator of heaven and earth. And, and that was the question that was posed to us uh, by Glenn out of last week's text that focused on the parable of uh, the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray, and he was very self-righteous. He was praying, oh, oh God, thank you that I'm not like other people, other sinners. Thank you that I'm not like this tax collector who is such a sinful person. And then we had that comparison draw between this Pharisee and the tax collector who couldn't even look up to heaven 
And he was beating his chest and he was saying, Oh God, be merciful towards me, a sinner. And that question that Glenn asked for us last week was answered, of course, by Jesus at the end of that parable where he said that salvation, in other words, to be made right with God, is dependent on us humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves, coming to Him in humility and in reliance on His work that He had done. And nothing that we have been able to do. But that carries on in today's story. Because Jesus moves on to illustrate to us again today what the kingdom of God is like and who it is for. Who it is for. And so let's dive into our text. It is uh, Luke 18, verses 15 to 17, and I'm going to read it to us there. It says there that now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God truly I say to you whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it let's just pray before we unpack this text father uh, we thank you Lord, that we can come and approach you today and, and in this new day with mercies anew. Father, that your mercy and grace is new every day. And, and so we come to you in that place where we come and acknowledge, Lord, that, yeah, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for the honor to call upon your name. We thank you, we, we thank you for the fact that yeah, Lord, that we can look at your word and, uh, Father, that we can ask for your help, that we can come and ask, Lord, come and teach us, come and lead us. And, uh, and so with this text, Lord, I come and pray, Lord, come and help us, come and help us understand, come and help us to hear and help us to follow you and trust in you. And uh, I pray for an empowerment by your spirit um, in this message here today. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, at this stage of Jesus' ministry, we know that he's on his way to Jeru Jerusalem. He knows what is lying ahead of him. He knows exactly what he needs to go through in order to accomplish the mission for which his father sent him to this earth. And as he is on his way to Jerusalem, he is, of course, preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And we know as a church, after having spent a year and a half, close to two years almost now, in the Gospel of Luke, we know that wherever Jesus is preaching and teaching, there are some who love Him and some who hate Him. Some who adore Him and some who despise Him. We also know that he draws crowds, thousands of them, and initially they follow him. But as the time draws closer to his crucifixion and the culmination of Jesus' mission, people fall away. People start rejecting him because Jesus' demands for discipleship is too hard for them to follow. They don't agree with it. It clashes with what they believe the way is to being made right with God. Now, after following Jesus for so long, we know that there's always someone who comes away after a battle with Jesus or a confrontation with Jesus 
There's always someone who comes away looking foolish. It's never Jesus. It's always someone else, okay? The majority of the time, it's the Pharisees, the most religious people of the day. They come away looking very foolish. But in this instance today, we're going to see how even on some occasions, his followers, his disciples, the ones that proclaim that they pledge allegiance to Jesus, that they come away looking very foolish. So let's dive into what Jesus has for us here today. In verse 15, we see the following. It says, They were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So after Jesus had been teaching and preaching and specifically teaching about the kingdom of God and never giving up, always praying like the widow who was going to the unjust judge, pleading for her case because she had an, uh, an adversary. And after his teaching about the Pharisee and the tax collector who were both praying to God, after all of these teachings, we then see this, that Jesus is now done with teaching these parables and something happens. We have children coming to Jesus. And they are brought to Jesus by their parents. Those are the them that he is referring to or what the scripture is referring to when it says uh, they brought even infants to him. Now the ESV Bible, which is a very accurate and good Bible translation, tells us that they did it so that Jesus could touch them. But other translations, such as the Amplified Bible, also says, touch and bless them. And, and so it is this image of parents bringing their little children, bringing their babies, so that Jesus might lay his hands on them and bless them. Now, you can just imagine this, right? You can imagine this picture. It's almost like what we do every year with the Santa parade here in Squamish. We've got Santa who comes to the ledge and, and we prepare here on stage for him uh, his big chair and we've got, you know, our Christmas trees and presents and, and then is the commotion when Santa arrives. You know, we've got parents here, they're lining up with the kids and it's kind of like chaotic because the kids are just so excited. The children are excited. They're going to see Santa. And it's kind of like that picture that we get here that, you know, the, the children are coming, parents are coming, and they, they are bringing their children to Jesus. They want to come and see Jesus. And it's not because Jesus is Santa. It's because, you know, they have been seeing Jesus, how he had performed miracle after miracle, how he had been preaching and teaching, how he had made the, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to sing, the dead to rise from the, dead, uh, from the grave. And it's because of that that they, they come. But I believe there's also another reason why the children are coming. And it's because got to believe that Jesus must have been a fun guy. Must have been funny, but a fun guy to hang out with. We know from the scriptures that Jesus was very popular. He was, he was the most celebrated person there after his cousin, John the Baptist, was kind of like the celebrity before Jesus. But Jesus was popular. He was invited to dinners and feasts and weddings by sinners who invited him, but also the religious elite. Jesus was a fun guy. We never get the idea out of these stories that the Pharisees were any fun. They always seem to be these people who are dressed in the 
the greatest religious outfits, looking perfect on the outside, but then always being exposed for their hypocrisy by Jesus. But it's important to understand also the historical context of this picture of little children coming to be blessed. If we look at the Old Testament and in the Bible, we see that there is a tradition that starts off right from the beginning in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where we read about stories such as Isaac, who blessed Jacob. The blessing was supposed to go to Esau, the firstborn, but Jacob, who was a supplanter, a deceiver, stole that blessing. And then he carries on the tradition that when before he dies, he blesses his 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he specifically also blesses Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, by placing his hands on them and blessing them. But not only that, we do see in the Old Testament and in the, the law of Moses, the, the Torah, Moses gives the instruction that newborn children or newborn uh, boys had to be circumcised on the eighth day and that every firstborn child had to be consecrated to the Lord and had to be brought to the tabernacle and the temple. Being dedicated to God. We get that image also with Samuel. Samuel was just a little child when he was brought to the tabernacle. And he had to basically learn under the priest Eli. And so that is the historical context. And I think that gives us a picture of then why these parents are then bringing their children to Jesus. Because sure, Jesus must have been a fun guy, but together with that, he had at this stage shown them what the kingdom of God was like and, and who was able to enter it. But they realized that this is the Messiah. They recognized that he was the one that was sent, the Holy One of God, the anointed one to be king. And that the ultimate blessing was to be coming through him as he himself was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, what's really perplexing is to see the disciples' reaction they very quickly jump to a conclusion. They very quickly rebuke the parents and the children. We are not specifically told why, though. And I was pondering this question this week. I was thinking, why on earth would the disciples want to rebuke these people? Now, we get a clue as to their thinking if we look at different parts of the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts. But in Luke 9 verse 54, we see a situation where two of Jesus' closest disciples, the, the disciples James and John, the two brothers, they are with Jesus and they go to a Samaritan village. But the Samaritans do not want to receive Jesus. And, and these two disciples react by telling Jesus, hey, you want us to call down fire to, to burn this village down and and obliterate them. And we see Jesus react in a way that he, he just rebukes them at that situation. Because they do not understand what the kingdom of God is all about. In other occasions, or on other occasions rather, the disciples treated each other with contempt. We get instances in the Gospels where the disciples would be fighting amongst one another and, and trying to establish who's the greatest amongst them. Who would be the one who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he rules and reigns. So in other words, they were elevating themselves above 
others in their own group. But Jesus, on those occasions, would also very quickly humble them by stating that the kingdom of God was not about that. It was about becoming the other person's slave and servant. Now, what is my point with all of this? My point is that the disciples were still not getting the message that Jesus was preaching. They weren't getting the kingdom. Jesus had just, with a previous parable, concluded by saying that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But they were now immediately after that, placing themselves in a position above these people. I believe the disciples rebuked the parents and the children because they were still looking at Jesus through their geopolitical lenses that they had on, the, the cultural and geopolitical narratives that they had grown up with, as well as that they started listening to and started believing on a day-to-day basis. You see, the political idea about the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to be this military figure that was going to come onto the scene and totally obliterate Israel's enemies, crush them, crush the Roman Empire, these oppressors, and then rule and reign from Jerusalem. That is the picture that they had of Jesus. We get a clue about this again, as I pointed out in Acts 1 verse 6. That is where I would say I get a a very strong indication that this is what the disciples were still thinking at that stage after Jesus had died on the cross, was buried and in the grave for three days, rose, appeared to the disciples and and over 500 people at, at, at one occasion, and, and was with him for 40 days until he ascended. But before he ascends, they ask him this in Acts 1 verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking, are you going to now be that guy that we have believed you're going to be? This military figure, the strong one who is going to oppress our oppressors. And that shows us that they were still missing the fact that Jesus' kingdom was not of this world. And that he had not come to overthrow the rulers of the Israel people, the Israelites, the Romans, through force. He was not going to do that. That is what they wanted him to do. That's not what he came to do. How did he come to do this? By dying on the cross. By dying on the cross. And atoning for the sins of all people. Both for the sins of Israel and for their oppressors. For all oppressors who would come after the Roman Empire. You see, the view that they had of Jesus was formed, as I'd said, by their culture, politics, and a misappropriation of their faith, of the scriptures. And that caused them to be a hindrance for these children who wanted to come to Jesus. Hence why Jesus rebukes the disciples. But we read on and we see that Jesus' response to these people are totally what the disciples did not expect. It says in verse 16, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, And do not hinder them, 
For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, once again, you can just imagine the scene. Imagine this picture. Jesus had just finished teaching these parables. It's a very holy moment. It's like, oh man, the disciples must have been like, <laughs> the Pharisees once again look so foolish. Can't believe it. Jesus just uh, nailed it again. Boom. Okay. It's a holy moment. And then what happens then? A bunch of parents with little children show up. Okay. They show up. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever had a bunch of little children show up for something like I explained with the Santa story and illustration, but, you know, it can sometimes get a little bit overwhelming and it can be messy, right? Um, I want to share with you this. Last year, October, uh, a group of us here at the Rock Church, we, we went to Mexico to go and build a school and in this community, there were lots of children, and while we were working there every day, they were kids. They were lots of children. They were, you know, wanting to see what we're doing and, and begging for money and food, and, and they would want to play. But on the last day specifically, there were like lots and lots of children, and, and so some of us were, you know, playing with them and picking them up and, and swirling and twirling and throwing them up in the air and and you know you would have children pulling at you and and just all over and making fun and teasing you and that's kind of like the picture that i get here in this situation with jesus you know we don't we're not told how many children were there but you know it's it's infants it's little ones it's family it's it's messy but you can just imagine the situation, it's this super spiritual moment and the disciples are like, oh my, what are these people thinking? Why are they bringing their children here in this moment? Jesus has just told us what the kingdom is about and, and now this whole moment is just a mess. You can just imagine how they are just grumbling. But Jesus' response like I said, it's not what they expect. It's not what they expect. Jesus is almost like a celebrity that is protected by his or her bodyguards. And the bodyguards are trying to just get the people away because, you know, this person who is super important needs to be protected. But Jesus is that kind of person who says, hey, no, it's okay. Let me sign some books or cards or let me have conversations with with people but here's what is really exciting for me in this picture is that jesus he has all of these children around him they may be crawling all over him and and some of them are pulling his beard and you know, picking his nose and, and they are walking around with runny noses and, and maybe getting rid of their boogers on his tunic. And, and you know, it's a, it's a mess. But in this moment, he teaches his disciples a lesson. And not just any lesson, but it is the lesson that answers, I believe, the greatest and most important question that had been asked in every age, by all people groups, all cultures, all backgrounds. And it is that question again, how can I be made right with God? What is it that we as humans need to do in order to please a holy, a righteous and a perfect God? And he gives them the answer by saying, do not hinder the little children to come to me because for to such belongs the kingdom of God. How can you be made right with God? To such belong the kingdom of God. In other words, become like such. Become like one of these little ones. Wham! <laughs> you know? Gives them this answer. They were getting all spiritual and political and religious. 
And Jesus points them back to the previous parable. He said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. They will be humbled. And so by making use of this picture of a child, a child, why? Why a child? What was it about children, specifically infants, that made Jesus say this? To answer that question, again, the context of the Jewish culture was, of course, that family and children were valued in accordance with the scriptures. Psalm 127 talks about the fact that children are a, are a blessing. But there was also this notion that children should be seen but not heard. Israel had also had the historical context of how they had fallen into lives of sin under bad leadership from sinful kings in the Old Testament. And during those times, they participated in the practice of foreign nations by sacrificing babies. So in other words, their Jewish context was, yes, yeah, family and children are valuable, but they are expendable. The Roman culture of that day was also not very fond of children. And similar to today's culture, babies were primitively aborted. They were abandoned, especially if babies were born with deformities or maybe if they were girls. And so when Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to such, of thee, such as these, he is stating that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are once again regarded by the culture, society, and by the geopolitical narrative as an inconvenience and expendable. He draws once again this comparison that he had drawn on from the two previous parables. Where we had the widow who was expendable versus the unjust judge who was someone who had status. We had the tax collector who was expendable versus the Pharisee who had status. This time, it is the comparison between the infant who can be, could have been regarded as expendable versus his own disciples who thought that they had status. This time, Jesus is flipping it around and saying, it can very quickly happen that after the oppressed, after the oppressed, have been delivered and redeemed, that they become the oppressors, the disciples. The disciples at this stage in Jesus' lesson have to wrestle with the fact that they have now placed themselves in that position. Jesus shocks the disciples with the final word of the day. It's almost like it's almost like that mic drop moment. Nowadays it's that Facebook comment moment where you have posted something and you've got people commenting and each and every one they want to get the last say in. But Jesus has the final word. Boom. Mic drop by saying this in verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall never enter it. Much has been said about this over years of preaching and teaching from this text. That to receive the kingdom of God or to enter the kingdom of God rather, 
we should be like these little children. Now, for years I've heard it and, and have listened to teachings on how we need to become like little children who are always responding in faith. They're always trusting. They always just instantly obey their parents. And that's how God wants us to respond. But after the birth of my first child, Miriam, she is now two years old. And, and since she has turned two, I got to tell you that as a, as a little toddler, that's not totally the way that she always responds. 99.9% of the time, I promise you, she is just too cute. I love her to bet she is, she is really just adorable. But at the best of times, she is sometimes, or, you know, can be handful, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. She is extremely strong-willed. She wants to decide and dictate how her morning goes when she gets dressed, what she is wearing, um, brushing teeth is quite a struggle. She wants to do it herself. And when we're around the dinner table, she wants to be the center of the attention. She wants to dictate, you know, how things work there. And especially if we're having conversations over FaceTime with Oma and Opa, who are in South Africa, then, then just... It can easily turn into chaos. But if I look at that, if I just look at my experience about little kids and, and children in that way, you know, is, is that what Jesus is saying? We need to become like that. And uh, I don't believe so. I don't believe that he means we need to become childish because that is just talking about being childish. And I believe a closer look at the Greek word that is used here for child in this context. It is the word paidion. And what it refers to is, is it refers to a child that is still under training between the age of seven and younger. And even, even as, as small as a little baby. And so that gives us a different picture. Because what do we know about all children from when they are born? And, and even children that are still in the womb. What do we know about them? We know that in the end, to survive and grow, they need help. They need help. They are dependent. No matter how much my daughter Miriam wants at this stage of her life uh, try and do the majority of the things by herself, she is just not able to. It takes her a little bit longer to acknowledge that. But in the end, she realizes that she does need help. And, and I believe that is the image that Jesus is sharing here with us. It's the image that he shares with his disciples once again. The image of having to recognize and admit and to say, I need help. I am dependent on God. Like an infant who is dependent on a mother and a father. And so the end picture is that of a, a child who with all their pride and stubbornness and rebellion surrenders and acknowledges that. And so it is this big idea again that we cannot earn. We cannot earn our salvation. You cannot earn the favor of God. It's only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we're able to be in a place of right standing and in relationship with God. But the big question in the end is, so what? What does this mean for us today? How can I apply it to my life? 
And uh, I want to then, in the end, conclude with the following. God's call on us, His disciples, His children, those who put their trust and faith in Him and His work on the cross, just like those disciples, God's call is for us to prepare the way for all the such as these in this time that we're living in. What Jesus tells the disciples, he's also telling us, don't be a hindrance. Don't be a hindrance. Question is, how do we do this? And I want to submit to you that the primary way that Jesus has called us, his children, to not be a hindrance for the such as these, the least, it is by living out the gospel faithfully and by proclaiming it. But doing that without any kind of prejudice or contempt to people who do not fit our cultural, geopolitical, or social narratives. That is what he is calling us to do. And what it looks like then is, is it needs to start with each and every individual and then collectively with all of us. It needs to really start with each and every person and in every household so that the gospel can have its true redemptive power and impact in our world today. To conclude, I'm quickly going to share with us then four ways, four practical ways in which we can see this happen in our world today and specifically at the Rock Church, Squamish. Firstly, bring your children to Jesus. This one is specifically for us who are parents. You know, in this text we see that people are bringing their infants, they're bringing their children to Jesus. Us as parents, we have this obligation, we have this calling on our lives that we are primarily responsible for bringing our children to Jesus and sharing the gospel with them. What this practically can look like is, for example, uh, in our household. You know, we, we try and, and make a point of it that in the mornings, we do our devotions, first of all, Jean and I, and then when Miriam is up, we, we try and then encourage her by reading through a children's Bible. And, and I'm going to be honest, Miriam at this stage, sometimes she's like, no, I don't want to. She's like, I don't want to read the Bible. And, uh, and what I've figured out now is to really try and make it fun. And, and how that has worked is we've got a little children's Bible. And then after breakfast, I would FaceTime Oman Opa, who is in South Africa. And, and, and we got Chili, our little dog. He's, he's now sitting there. And then I said, listen, Miriam, let's read the Bible to Chili. And I would... You know, poor Chili is sitting there, but we would call him to repentance. And, and I would tell Miriam, he needs to repent. He, he's still not listening. Let's read the Bible together to him and help Chili. And Oma and Opa are there, and, and they're listening, and, and it's fun. She's all of a sudden really liked uh, or started to like reading the Bible to Chili. But that's now just a silly little example of, of how I'm trying, even at this early age, she's two, but I promise you, uh, she's starting to learn the names of the characters and, and the stories that we're reading. But that is a way in which I'm bringing her to Jesus and trying to point her, even at this early age, to Jesus. But it's through fun. Jesus is fun. So we've got to make it fun. Uh, second practical way that I wanted to share is uh, worship starts at home. It starts primarily in your home. 
Us as parents, we have to primarily be the examples and teachers of the gospel to our children. And, and they watch us. It is, as the, the saying goes, monkey see, monkey do. And, uh, you know, I've shared that before. You know, how we as a household would worship together. We would put on music and, and get some, some uh, lint and, and Miriam dances and, and Jean would dance and I even dance around and, and go a little bit crazy there. But that is just a practical way of how we try and cultivate a culture of worship in our house. But it starts there first. So I want to encourage you with that. That is how we are going to see already the redemptive power of the gospel start to work in our own households and, and for the such of, as these, those, those children that God has entrusted to us in our families. And the third one is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand uh, of the throne of God. You know, there's so much distraction going on currently in our culture. And through various means, through media and social media. And, and once again, I'm going to be honest here. You know, this last week I've struggled with that, with so many distractions through Facebook and, and Twitter and, and whatnot. And, and if I'm going to be honest, you know, it's led me in this week to really not fix my eyes on, on Jesus the whole time. And there are some things that I, I am in the process of correcting and maybe statements made that I should not have made and, and posts that are unclear. And so I admit that and and in that way, you know, ask God for forgiveness for that, for allowing these things to distract me from what He has for me. And I want to encourage us as a church that in this moment we really need to keep our eyes on Jesus and pay attention to what He is saying to us and not what culture is trying to dictate to us. And then lastly, an, a last way that I wanted to share with us in how we can prepare the way for the such uh, as these is each and every one of us need to start to come to Jesus like a child. To be a such as these. Jesus' is warning to all of his followers, like his disciples, is that we really need to watch ourselves and watch out that we do not become those who quickly judge, place ourselves in a higher position as if we know exactly what is happening, what is needed on all occasions in order to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus encourages us by saying, you're all children. You're all children. Come with that mindset of you're like a little child. Doesn't matter whether or not you have a PhD in theology or what kind of qualification you have and whether or not you've got no education whatsoever. All of us are children who need to learn and grow. But the encouragement is this, that God does not just want us to stay like little children and not grow into maturity. If we look at little children, the goal is we want to bring them up. We want to raise them up. We want them to become mature and responsible. And so I want to share this last scripture with you in which we're encouraged that we are to grow into maturity. And it's a a verse or a couple of verses out of Ephesians 4. We looked at it in the Gifts of God series where the Apostle Paul says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. So Jesus has given us the church, in other words, 
to equip the saints for ministry, in other words, to prepare the way for the such as these, and for the building up of the body of Christ, building us up altogether, and this is the goal, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The only way we can grow from that place of being little children into mature children of God is if we do that, if we fix our eyes on Jesus and have that end goal in mind. I conclude with that. That is the end goal for us as the church. Prepare the way for the such as these, the little children. But it starts first with each and every one of us repenting, acknowledging our sin turning away from it and becoming and being like a little child and growing. I'm going to end off here with prayer. And I trust that in this time you will consider Jesus' words and teaching in this regard and how it applies to each and every one of our lives in our current cultural moment and situation. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your words. And uh, Lord, thank you for your word that is truth. And it is your word that sanctifies us and it, it is alive and well. And it is a double-edged sword, Lord, that cuts through the intentions of the heart and, and the thoughts and our minds. And, and Lord, it by the power of the Spirit, convicts us. And, and so, Lord, I come to you today, and, Father, I come and acknowledge my sin, acknowledge that I need to become like a child and stay in that place of where I need to acknowledge that I'm learning, that I need to grow. But, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that are, are listening and watching and in whatever the situation is, that we will repent, that we will turn to you, that we will change our way of thinking. And Lord, that we will rely on your spirit to come and sanctify us. And so we pray for that. Father, I pray for the Rock Church Squamish. I pray for our family here. And I ask, Lord, come and bring us to that place in our homes to first start there to fix our eyes on you and to worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray your protection over your people. Lord, protect us and deliver us from the evil one in this time. And we thank you that we can ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.